This week, I talked to star William Jackson Harper about his breakout role as Professor Cheedy on the hit comedy The Good Place. And a real professor analyzes the philosophy of the show. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Hey everyone, and welcome to our 99th episode of Pop Culture Confidential. I'm Christina Yerling Biro. Before I start the show, I want to share some very big and exciting news with you all. Pop Culture Confidential is joining forces with Spotify, and we are becoming a Spotify original podcast. I am so looking forward to this season. It's going to be amazing, and I really hope that you'll join us on this new adventure. Our entire back catalog is already up on Spotify, and by next episode, that's 100, you will find my new interviews only on Spotify. So go follow us there and make sure you don't miss a single episode of this very exciting season. And now, back to the show. So I remember reading about The Good Place ahead of its premiere and thinking, that's one heck of an ambitious premise for a half-hour comedy. The afterlife, philosophy, ethics. Ambitious even for the TV comedy genius behind it, showrunner Michael Shore. He's known for his work on shows like The Office, Parks and Recreation, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. The Good Place is about Eleanor, played by Kristen Bell, who many of us know and love from Veronica Mars. Eleanor dies and finds herself in a heaven-like place run by the so-called architect Michael, played by comedy legend Ted Danson. This is a place where you end up if you've lived a most righteous life. The problem is that Eleanor was a terrible person on earth, and she realizes that ending up in the good place was a mistake. She confesses this only to her assigned soulmate, Chidi Anagonye, played by our guest this week, William Jackson Harper. You'll stand by my side no matter what, right? Of course I will. I wasn't a lawyer. There's been a big mistake. I'm not supposed to be here. Wait, what? Are you sure this isn't you? They got my name right, but nothing else. Somebody royally forked up. Why can't I say fork? If you're trying to curse, you can't hear. That's bullshit. Tell me one good thing that you did on Earth. Do you have a second to talk about the environment? Do you have a second to eat my farts? Oh. I can't risk going to the bad place. Okay, well, maybe it's not all that bad. We'll ask Janet. Hey, Janet. Hi there. How can I help you? What is the bad place like? I can only play you a brief audio clip of what is happening there right now. Well, it doesn't sound awesome. The Good Place dares us to think about some difficult and mind-bending ethical and philosophical questions. Take, for example, the trolley problem featured on the show. You're riding on a trolley. It's barreling towards five people on the tracks. Doing nothing means they all die. But if you pull a lever to another set of tracks, you kill one person instead of five. Our guest, William Jackson Harper, gets to dive deep into ethical and moral questions in his role as the indecisive ethics professor, Cheedy, on the show. He talked to me about why his character resonates so much, what it's like working with comedy legends like Ted Danson, and how the show's philosophy has made him think. But first... How do real academics view the premise and questions raised on The Good Place? To find out, I decided to talk to Professor Kenan Ferguson of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. 
I teach political philosophy uh, with an emphasis on contemporary, that is the last hundred or so years. And my personal interests are in the way that philosophical ideas interact with everyday life. So how do you think that the writers are handling philosophy on The Good Place? I think they're doing two clever things that are interrelated. One is that there's a sort of surface learning curve, uh, the things that the character Eleanor Shellstrop's going through. She hasn't really been exposed to philosophy, and she's hearing about it for the first time. But then simultaneously, the structure of the show is setting up a lot of really interesting, complex philosophical questions that the writers might not even know what the answers to are ahead of time. How do you feel about some of the particular questions that they have taken up? What have you found interesting? To me, the, the most fascinating rendition of the, the philosophical problems are in the sometimes throwaway bits where it's clear that the characters and the writers have been thinking about the implications of certain actions. Mm -hmm. One thing that comes to mind is there's a, a flashback that Chidi Anagonye, who's the philosophy professor, goes through where he thinks back to a moment where he had to lie to a friend about whether or not he liked his boots. Right. And and the, the beauty of the scene is that there is no right thing to do. He ends up lying but being tortured by it and ends up making the friendship worse uh, because of it. On the other hand, if he hadn't lied, um, that probably would have made the friendship worse as well. So those little, they're almost Easter eggs of philosophical conundrums that are that are set in there by the writers as uh, part of the everyday experience of ethical judgments that we always have to make. Do you think that's why the show resonates so much and it just gets people thinking? Yes, I think people can feel that there are deeper philosophical questions being asked and answered and that they can also take joy in the overarching structure that's going on there. If there's clearly development that happens in a way that a situation comedy doesn't usually engage in. Um, but it also seems surprising all the time. One never knows where a particular episode is going to end up. Talking about Chidi, is, is he a good representation of a modern philosopher? I think he's a good representation of what a lot of philosophy aspires to be. Part of what makes him an intriguing and really likable character is that he makes the people around him, at least in the, the afterlife context of the show, he makes them think about themselves and become better people because of that. That's really a debatable philosophical uh, idea, but it is nice in our contemporary world to think that, you know, lugging around some huge books and deeply studying them can make you a better kind of person. What about the big theme of the good place in general, this thought about that there's a good place and a bad place and, and their sort of version of heaven, hell and heaven and hell? What did you what are your thoughts on that? I particularly like what the show is doing with that, because though they set that up as one of the foundational rules of the universe, the, this idea that every act on Earth has a sort of positive or negative value that uh, gets put on your credit or debit account. 
Mm-hmm. They're also clearly undermining that in the longer term idea that people can grow and change once they start to think about themselves seriously and what their their actions do and how they affect others. That is the premise that everything is measurable and seeable in a sort of just system is being undercut over the past two years by this idea that we all have the potential to transform who we are. Mm-hmm. And can you tell, um, watching the show, what kind of research Michael Schur and the writers have done? Yes, it's, it's obvious that they know quite a few contemporary philosophical questions. Um, if you, there's times when the, a blackboard behind them will have a lot more information than, than it's ever going to get on the show or be verbalized. But it's all it's all there, and they have read and know what they're doing. I would say my only complaint about what they know is that in having a, a character um, who's from Africa, who's trained in Africa, he has a very American European version of what philosophy is. That is, he's always teaching in what is a fairly specific uh, Anglo world of philosophy and that I don't think the writers have uh, explored very far beyond that. You mentioned the the chalkboard. Are you looking at the chalkboard in those scenes and reading that while other things are happening? I'm sure that there's other people who who press pause to watch all the (laughs) puns about yogurt or or other food. But I, I stop on the on the chalkboard. Yeah. And they're all I mean, it's all real. Yes, exactly. There's there's references to contemporary uh, philosophers. There's references to interesting questions from the 70s and 80s. It's uh, they, they know what they're putting up there. Let's talk about that trolley problem, which is sort of what viewers have been, you know, going home and, and um, talking to their friends. And what would you do and what would you do? How do you see that problem yourself? So the way it's presented in the show is a question of, you know, what is Chidi going to do? But I think that most philosophers think of it as a question more of what should one do in that sort of situation and what motivates one's thinking. I think the, the, the thing the show gets very right about it is that it's an insoluble problem. Yes. <laughs> and it's one that, uh, that there's no good answer to other than um, to torture Chidi. And what about other popular culture series or, or film or so have you found interesting out of a sort of philosophy ethics point of view? There's quite a few different creators who get inspired by philosophical questions. Um, I think the probably the most famous one of the past couple decades is that the Matrix movies were basically based in an undergraduate idea of, you know, what if we don't know the real world we're in? Um, what's interesting about The Good Place and what I really find intriguing about it is that it seems to be following certain questions, uh, questions about ethics particularly, into new areas and, and, and trying to develop them more instead of just using them as one jumping off point for a, a, tr- a more traditional kind of show. It seems that uh, sci-fi is a very good genre for these type of questions, right? I mean, I, I mean, lots of Star Trek and lots of um, um, Black Mirror and things like that. 
deal with sort of far out questions and dilemmas that one has to take in, in either direction. It's science fiction and certain forms of fantasy are just wonderful places to think out intellectual problems by extrapolating a trend or two into the future and figuring out what that would look like. What that does tend to do in general, though, is lead to dystopias. Mm -hmm. uh, you, right. you know, there's not many Black Mirror episodes where you come out of them and think, wow, that was sure refreshing. <laughs> and what's intriguing about The Good Place is that it's intellectual exercise is actually trying to figure out using a lot of fantasy and science fiction tropes, but to figure out how people can get better, which is quite unlike the others. Right. I noticed that also in the show's visual palette. You know, it's it's a very bright, aesthetically appealing show. Yeah, that's what's so great about it, that it really is hopeful somehow. Exactly. Well, finally, Professor Ferguson, I'd like to know your own solution to the trolley problem. What would you do? <laughs> the part of the trolley problem I find most intriguing is that I don't think anyone pushed into a situation like that ends up sacrificing the people who they're closest to. Nobody's really going to turn a trolley to hit their own friend or their own child no matter what the other stakes are. And so my solution to the trolley problem isn't very satisfying in a moral philosophical sense. It doesn't tell us what should we do, but it does point out that people care about those who are closest to them, and they're actually willing to sacrifice quite a bit of life and pleasure and even the world in order to take care of their family, their friends, sometimes even their pets. So it's the ones closest to you in what that type of decision is what you're saying. That you choose, that, that we choose all the time. Well, that's so interesting. Thank you so much, Professor, for your time. This was great. It's a terrific pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much to Dr. Kenan Ferguson of the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. And now, William Harper Jackson was a struggling theater actor out of New York when he got the part on The Good Place, a star-making role as the completely indecisive Professor Chidi Anagonye. I started by asking him if playing Professor Chidi has led him to thinking any more about those big questions, about beliefs and ethics. I grew up actually um, pretty religious, um, and... You know, over time, a lot of those beliefs have have, have changed, and I've you know, especially going to college and con like coming in contact with people with different ideas and seeing how many similarities in what I believed and what other people believed. It, it sort of it, it, it changed a lot of things for me, and so I think that like my idea was it has been like you know to say that we know exactly what lies after after life um, is, is arrogant. And I think to say that nothing exists is also arrogant. And I think that, you know, this is the only, this is one of the, you know, one of those scenarios where agnosticism seems to be the most defensible uh, point of view. Uh, you know, cause I, I um, so, so for me, you know, this, this, uh, this show is sort of, 
I don't know. It's an interesting idea. Um, it's, it's it's fun to play with, and I I, I think that it's um, I, I think that just sort of making up the rules as, as 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 Mike and the writers have done with this show. I think that's that's a good way to tackle it because I, I think it's just like at this point, it it it, it that could very well be it. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's version of that. I wanted to start by asking you why you think so many people can relate to Chidi because I really find that when I'm I've talked to people about the show. You know, I um I don't know. I mean like I I feel like I'm I'm a pretty indecisive dude and I feel like uh you know you get me and my my girlfriend in a room trying to make a choice and it just turns into a half hour of trying to please the other person. But like um I think that uh I don't know. It's we we just live in a world of like just so many choices for so many people, especially you know, especially now. Like it just seems like you're just aware of so much, so it can be a little overwhelming. Yeah, I was thinking that that is so relatable, even more so today. There's so many sort of difficult moral choices for young people to take in politics, and so many things that are happening. I think that that really, I think that really resonates. Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, I think that you know, it's like. As soon as you've made a decision about how you feel about something, you get on Twitter or Facebook and there's a think piece about why you're exactly wrong. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's like, well, geez. So, you know, you just wind up sort of in this state of paralysis. So I, I think that sort of that sort of overwhelming place is, is a place where a lot of a lot of people live. Now, you're a real theater guy, and the sitcom is like a real American art form. Um, it's a, to me, it seems like such an incredibly difficult and interesting acting process in the same. What, what have been the challenges, and what has been interesting for you? Um, in a way, there's a lot of pressure because it's, um, it's a lot of people doing, doing their job, doing a very important job that you know, whereas like your job doesn't matter if they don't do theirs, you know, it's like if nothing matters if, if, if the, if the, if the sound is missing, if the frame is all messed up, if the lights are wrong, it's like, it's all, it all goes to, to crap. So you, so it's like in that way, it's like, it's a lot more pressure, but it's also a lot more fun just because it's a little bit looser. You know, you're getting jokes on the fly. You're making changes. You're just, you know, you'll, you'll, you're rather than rehearsing and then rendering this thing for people to see that's the thing that you've rehearsed, you're rehearsing on the fly and trying to find the scene while seeing if anything that you're getting on the way to getting the thing that you want is usable. Right. But is there room for improv? I thought Michael, I mean, there was, they were quite tight the script sort of the, I, I think there's room for improv depending on what the the show is i think that for us um the narrative is so tight that we really need to stay with the the, the script i mean there's some moments where you can kind of play with some things but you know it's is the, the narrative is very it's very streamlined there's not a lot of fat and so it's it's a lot of uh just sort of staying with the narrative that we've got going and it, i our writers a lot more than I trust myself to <laughs> make those decisions. You have particularly a lot of difficult text. I mean, you have these philosophy texts that come. Are you saying that you get the script just the day before? We get them. I mean, we, we get like a, not, not the entire script, but like we get them like at the beginning of the week or something like that, or like the, the, the entire script, but like what we're going to shoot varies from day to day. And so, um, you know, and we don't always just like shoot, from beginning to end and you know you don't know exactly what you're shooting from day to day and so you know you see what the schedule is going to be and you know what's coming up and you go home and you 
work on it or, you know, if it's uh, if you can just kind of get it while you're in hair and makeup or waiting for everything to get set up, you do it there. Um, but the writing is so good that it, it really doesn't take a lot to memorize it for it to just go in and stay. Um, that makes it a lot easier. What about the incredible comedy pedigree on this show, like Ted Danson, for example, who's really a national TV treasure now from Cheers and on. What have you been able to observe working with him, his approach to comedy? Well, he's just, he's, he's so relaxed and he never appears to be asking for the laugh, which I think is exactly why everyone finds him so funny all the time. I think that an audience always knows when you're begging and, and that, that turns people off I, or it rather I'll say it turns me off when I feel that someone is really asking for the laugh. I think that, you know, the thing that Ted does so well is he just stays in this very relaxed sort of surprising place. And um, I, I think that that's, that's just sort of like, it's, it's magic to watch. So one thing I think that you do so well is being the straight man in comedy terms, the character that reacts to all the craziness that's happening around you. I can imagine that that's kind of hard. Is there an acting trick to that? I honestly don't think so. I think that it's I think the most important thing is like when you are the straight man is the most important thing is to stay in your lane. I think that you know, you're like you'll have your moments where you have the joke, but really it's like you're you're the stand in for the audience in these worlds. And so, you know, it's like at that point, you really just sort of need to just stay open and relaxed and react and let, you know, let that stuff unfold. And it'll lead itself to, to something that might be kind of interesting or funny. But, it, you know, as soon as you start forcing it, I think that that's when you get into trouble. And, you know, and, and, and I think that you know, as a straight man, it's like, it's in a way it's, it's tough because you want, you know, sometimes you want to try some, some wacky stuff, but it, it winds up just being like a, a hat on a hat, you know, it's just too much. It's like, you want to, you, 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 you're passing the ball. It's not your job to dunk it. It's yours to, to give the assist, you know? All right. It's a good analogy. And what about Kristen Bell, who seems like just a fearless genius. <laughs> um, what have you learned from her? A, a lot. She's a, one of those extremely capable, super smart people. Working with her on the show, I'm like, oh, this is why she is who she is at this point. She's just so alive and interesting and, and, and funny without doing a bunch of tricks or doing a bunch of cutesy stuff. I think that she's just like a, she's very, she's really good at her job. So I think that the thing that I'm actually trying to steal from her, I'm trying to steal from all my castmates, but one of the <laughs> things I'm trying to steal from her is how to be just that engaged and alive at all times. And tell me a little bit about um, Michael Shore. I mean, he this guy has worked on The Office, Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, he's really done some amazing work in, in comedy. How would you describe his sort of work ethic? Intense. Um, yeah. yeah. When we have, whenever Mike directs a show, directs an episode, we get, really get into these scenes. We do a lot of like deep dives into what's happening you know, moment to moment sort of work that, um, I mean, a lot of our directors like get into that, but I think that because 
Mike has a very clear vision for what he wants this to be, it's uh, it we, we we get to really do that sort of that serious deep dive that sometimes we we don't get in TV just because of time, and that's and that's pretty that's pretty great. And he's and he's so he's he's also like you know super smart. There's like this huge stack of books that he read before he even started writing a word on this show, and it's I'm like <laughs> that I I I'm like I I can't believe. I've not, I've never done that much research for anything ever. Like uh, close to the research that he did for this show. Did you guys know about the twist? I mean, how much do you know beforehand as the cast? Oh, well, the first season, we didn't know anything about the twist till like episode 10. We were shooting episode 10 and they finally brought us in. I mean, Ted and Kristen knew already, but they brought in, uh, you know, the four babies, me, uh, Mila, Manny and Darcy, uh, four babies. That's that's Darcy's phrase. I, I read it. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna use that. I think that's correct. Yeah, um, but uh, they brought us in, sat us around a table, and told us what the twist was going to be. And we all just sort of like you know our jaws hit the floor. But they, you know, they they waited. They waited a while because it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't like germane to our portrayals that we all knew this thing was happening. Talking a little bit, you were mentioning research. How much? have you done in terms of these pretty heavy philosophical questions and philosophers and books you're mentioning? And did you, have you spoken to academics? Did you do any research? I, I, I usually go somewhere where someone has just like, how do you break this down for, for babies? You know, and I go to those sites and have people just like, give me the very, very basic ideas as they, you know, sort of the Cliff's Notes version of it. Um, just so I can stay active and play the scenes without being bogged down with, well, actually, I should be thinking blank. What's your own solution to the trolley problem? It's it's pretty simple. I think you just pull the lever and take out the one guy. Yeah, it's sad. I, that's my answer, too. <laughs> but I was listening to this podcast, and they were saying that there's like there's so many variations on this. Whereas I think that, you know, it's like pulling the lever. A lot of people, that's no question. People would do like, okay, pull the lever. You know, you kill one person instead of five, it sucks, but it's just for the greater good. But then there's this version of it where the train is coming down the track, there's five people on the tracks, and there's a person on the bridge. And do you go up behind that person and push them onto the tracks so the train is 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 aware that there's danger ahead of them, you know, rather than just pulling a lever? Like, if you had to actively cause someone's death physically, would you do that? And I, it's amazing how different that is, how different that that set of circumstances uh, changes people's answers. And how does it change it? A lot of people were like, I, I don't know if I can actually push a person it's to their physical, death. It's too physical, right. You're right. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Which, you know, and I'm like, I don't know. It's like part of me is thinking like, hmm. Well, then it's like it's it's an active decision to kill one person with your bare hands. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's like the physical contact changes everything. Well, we started off by talking about why Chidi resonated so much. Why do you think the show in general has resonated so hugely around the world? Well, I think that for a lot of, uh, I think for a lot of Americans, I think that the show is, things are bleak right now. You know, (laughs) like it's, it's 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 pretty nasty over here um, as far as um, you know the civil discourse and and uh, the balkanization of 
of, of, of information and politics and everything is really nasty and a little scary. And I think this show is, is a very, it's a kind hearted show. And I think that people need that right now. I, I mean, I certainly need it. And it's, um, there's something in the zeitgeist right now, which we're, that sort of dictates that everything must be dark and everything must be tortured in some way. And the anti-hero is sort of your default protagonist for so many people. And I guess we have a form of an anti-hero in, in ours too, but you know, there's no, there's so little optimism, uh, even in art. And I think that it's probably a reflection of just sort of where we're at, but I think that this is also a valid reaction of having some optimism in, in art. Um, and I think that people need it. I think that people are, are a little freaked out and just kind of want to have something that's not necessarily just candy, but is challenging, is something you have to pay attention to, but in the end is hopeful. What can you tell us about season three? I promise I won't tell anyone. <laughs> what do you know? When are you starting? When can we see you again? Well, we, I mean, hopefully, well, we're starting, we're actually going to start uh, production on season three here pretty soon, uh, probably in the next month. But um, we, um, I actually have no idea what is uh, in store for us season three at all. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super curious too. I, but you do know you'll be back. Yes. Yes. Okay, yes. good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're, we're, you know, the gang's all here, but, uh, you know, we, but yeah, I, we, we, we don't know, um, what's coming up next. And it's, uh, it's exciting because where we left off, you know, we're again in a completely, the paradigm has shifted again in a way you always, you're, you're always doing season one, you know, it's like so far it's, you know, it's like season one was its own thing. Season two was very much its own thing. And season three um, is, is going to be its own thing because there's always a paradigm shift at the end, which sort of means that you can't just rely on everything that you've done before to carry you forward. It has to, you know, everything changes. No, it's so surprising. It's so well-written. Yeah. I, I, I like it. Well, I can't wait to see it. Well, thank you so much for taking your time. I know you must be super busy. Oh, thank you. So thanks for, thanks for chatting with me. Thank you very much to William Jackson Harper and to Professor Ferguson. Make sure to catch up on The Good Place ahead of season three. And thank you so much for joining us here on Pop Culture Confidential. And you make sure to follow us on Spotify now. I'm Christina Jarling Biro. Catch you next week. Science, science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. 
Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.